For 45 years, Lampire Biological Laboratories has been a key player in the life science industry. We are an international biotech company that produces biological reagents. For a complete listing of products, you can visit our website at lampire.com or call 215-795-2838. Welcome back to our podcast, Being a Life Sciences Leader, brought to you by Life Sciences Pennsylvania and Troutman Pepper. I'm Chris Molino, President and CEO of Life Sciences Pennsylvania, and it's my pleasure to welcome you back to our show, uh, and it's my pleasure to also welcome back my co-host. I'm here with Rachel Bushy as my co-host. Rachel is the Chair of the Health Sciences Department at Troutman Pepper. Welcome back, Rachel. Thank you. Good to be here. And we've got a terrific guest with us, John Witkowski, who is the President of DSM Biomedical. John, welcome. And uh, I'm going to turn it over to Rachel to, to, to introduce herself a little bit and, and uh, start with the first question of our guest. Great. Thanks so much, Chris. So happy to be here again. John, great to see you. Um, if you could tell us a little bit about your current role. Sure. Well, first, thanks for having me on the program. I really enjoy the opportunity to come and share with you guys today and the listeners. Um, I'm president of DSM Biomedical. Um, we believe in solving our world's healthcare needs through sustainable science. Uh, we're, we're a division of DSM Global, and uh, we're about 350 employees uh, based globally. Uh, we have people in the Netherlands and in um, Asia and also in Exton, Pennsylvania, as well as uh, Greenville, North Carolina. And if, if you, we were to talk to people, what would they say your leadership style is like? Well, I would say unorthodox. And we might interview people I would after say this. Un, I, you're more than welcome. I'm, I'm, I'm very unorthodox. We usually conduct the background check That's after, right. this, yes. after the recording. You know, please don't. Um, but I, I, I'd say it's a little bit unorthodox. I'm, I'm more of a low-key type of person. Um, I like to lead with humor to make people at ease. And um, I'm more of a coach-counselor type of people. You know, I'm not – I mean – I don't have a can't say I have a huge ego, but um, I really love to have the team lead and, and do things. I kind of set the table for them and let them do what they do best. And John, when, when did you start in the life sciences? You got a, a long and very impressive resume uh, background going back to uh, Stryker, but when when did you first get the life sciences bug? Well, you know, I wish I could have a claim to fame. It was some some altruistic vision. I just needed a job. <laughs> and so at the end of the day, I applied for an That's ad. A motivator. I mean, I added, I applied to an ad in the paper. It was in the, because now papers, right? Yeah, the, exactly. You don't see that too much. And it was for a production planner. And I just had to get a job and it was striker. And I went down there, knew nothing about the medical industry, had no clue. And um, ended up ha hitting it off with someone who ended up being a mentor for me and took my first job as a production planner on the shop floor. What were some of the, the lessons you learned right there out of the gate? It's a unique industry for sure. Well, one of the first things that amazed me was I had no idea there were choices when you go to the doctor for implants or products. Um, it was much like the car industry to me. You could get a Pinto, you could get a Cadillac. I, I never thought that You're way. You're dating yourself here with the Pinto. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but there are different models, you know, and it's the same with the products. Like you can get all types of different products, high end, low end, all depends what your doctor's doing. And it really was an eye opener to me uh, when I entered that, the industry. But you, got, you did get a master's in scientific molding uh, from, from NIPRO. Describe, was that 
a necessity or was that something for your own interest? How, uh, it was, you know, I knew it? nothing about molding. I got a certificate in scientific molding. I wish it was a master's, but uh, um, I, I, I went oh, through Matt, the course. Yeah, Matt, I was a master molder. Uh, thank you for upgrading my, <laughs> my resume, although. Um, but I felt here I am leading a large entity and it's a prestigious injection molding company. And I just by my nature, I wanted to learn as much, much as I could so I could at least be able to relate to the team. I kind of understand what's going on, even though people leadership is very, you know, crossed uh, at different industries. But I, I had a desire to try to understand it a little bit more um, if I was going to lead this this large group of people. Yeah, you know, one of the, the traits we've heard from a couple of our guests is that continuous learning. Yes. That, that intellectual curiosity. Uh, would you say that's a trait that you carry into your job today? Yeah, 100%. Um, we're always learning, always in the process of learning and trying to understand. I mean, I it's kind of intimidating at DSM Biomedical. I mean, we have a ton of PhDs and folks that are extremely learned. And, you know, we have a lot of different technical platforms. I am a humble engineer. I'm an industrial engineer by trade um, and with an MBA. So I learn a lot from my colleagues uh, as we go out there. Yeah. I just want to ask you just a follow-up question. How do you encourage that intellectual curiosity and that continuous learning orientation that you've got. How do you encourage that with your employees or the people you lead? Well, we are an innovative company. We can't exist if we're not creating new products and solving problems in the industry. So it's it's almost a do or die situation. If we're not doing it, we're gonna become irrelevant and we'll eventually just fade away. And so through continuous learning, right, I'm sure your leadership style has changed through the years. Can you talk a little bit about that continuum? Um, you know, I'll talk. So one of the interesting things was, you know, you're coming into your own to your leadership style. So, you know, you're developing it, you're bringing it around. It wasn't like when I woke up one day and said, well, this is the leader I'm going to be. Um, you know, I was looking around one, one of the early mistakes I made. And, uh, and I'll tell you, the president of Stryker at the time always amazed me. He was a photographic memory. He was, a, you know, awesome leader. And I felt like that's who I had to be. And that was a huge mistake for me. I'm not him. And, you know, I had to come into my own. I'm a people leader. I'm people oriented. I don't have a photographic memory, nor do I need it. But I started to learn the qualities of building a strong team around you. So you have to first self understand your, you know, your strengths. And we used to do um, Gallup Strengths Finder and different things like that. And then you kind of say, all right, how do I surround myself with people to, you know, buffer the areas where I'm not so strong? And the other aspect was focus on what I'm good at. In our world, we focus on what we're not good at. And that can be debilitating. Like, you know, if I'm not good at time management, I can take a thousand courses and guess what? I'm still not going to be good at it's time exactly management. That's exactly true. Right. So, so you were at Stryker, you left Stryker and went to sell it, right? Yes. And then after that, you did a startup. Yes. So can you talk a little bit about the transition to a startup, what that was like? I mean, a lot of our, our listeners are in that kind of an early stage company? So the first thing I would give advice to is don't start at a startup in your career, a startup in your career. When I, by starting at Stryker, you learn process, you learn how to do things, you learn how to approach things, big systems, you get a great foundation. It's very hard when you go and your only experience is a startup. You don't really bring a toolbox with you. The big companies provide you a nice toolbox. So my, I always encourage people, spend a few years. You don't have to be there forever. Mm-hmm. You know, three to five years, you get a nice toolbox going. And then when you enter the startup, you know, it's a benefit to you because you are wearing many hats, you know, and they're going to put you in there and you're going to have to do, you know, so you might come in as an engineer, you might do two or three different things. You might be helping shipping product, you might be helping customer service, you might be doing different things because you don't have the bandwidth to hire 100 people. 
Well, it's interesting. We, we heard from Peter Miller, too. One of the benefits of starting at a big company is you can have some certain failures and still be successful right. because they can absorb it, yes. right? Whereas in a startup, you don't have that same luxury. No, that is a very true statement. I mean, I've had one of my startups fail because our product went out and um, it fell apart. And, and that was the end of it, to be honest with you. So let me just ask you about that, that, uh, that transition from a large company to a small company. That also, though, is not for everybody. No. So how do you, what, what kind of lesson can you teach to those in our community who are thinking about making that move from large company to, to startup? Because that happens a lot, too. And we do see that fail. We mm -hmm. see those people fail because they are accustomed to being able to pick up the phone and call somebody down the hall for just about anything. Uh, and when they go into a startup, as you said, you, you've got to wear multiple hats. So what, what are some of the, the traits that you had to take into that startup mode that listeners could, could learn from? What, what do they need to expect? Well, if you're not extremely adaptable, don't do it. Because the big companies, you can be siloed. It's very easy to go into a big company and say, look, I'm really good at problem solving. I'm going to be in continuous improvement. I'm going to stay in that area. Or I'm really good at quality and regulatory. When you go in the startup, you do not know what's going to come your way. Okay, you know, there's a lot of surprises. There's a lot of different challenges. You know, you, you coming up with a great idea, which by the way, everyone has a great idea. You wouldn't start. That's not going to make you successful. You have to be able to get that thing commercialized. And there's a lot of things that happen that you got to be ready. Conserving cash is pro if you that is probably the number one thing you have to do as a startup, because if you don't know how to manage your cash flow. You're gonna you're gonna dilute the company and it's gonna be a big problem. But like you, you definitely have to wear many hats. Now the other advice I would give is, talk to people. If you're interested in getting into it, network and ask people what it's like. Take them through what. Tell me what your your day is like. Tell me what it's like. You know when you learn, learn, learn. Don't just jump in. Try to learn as what you can and see if it's a fit for your personality and what you, what you'd like to do. Well, we've, yeah, we've heard from a lot of guests just about how strong the network is and how beneficial it can be and that, you know, some of the mistakes they made early on is not tapping into that network soon enough, even if it's through fundraising. Mm -hmm. um, you know, can you talk to us a little bit about some of the fundraising challenges you had and in getting into that coming from, you know, a bigger company? Yeah, well, you know, life at Stryker was great. Okay. Anytime we wanted anything, the best equipment, the best, you know, if you had a two-year justification, you got it through, you got it. That's not your world in a startup, right? You're sitting there and you get a business plan together, people fund you, and you're off and running. But you know, many things come up that are unexpected and they start to drain your cash. So you've gotta be extremely good at managing your cash flow. The other piece that I would say is talent management. Um, you, you can't afford, you don't have a lot of people. If you do not hire a great person out of the gate, it can be very, very painful uh, because you don't have a deep bench. You don't have 100 people to go call up and help you out. Um, so, you know, startups can be a lot of fun, but, and, and it's a different environment too. You have to be used to a very fluid environment. Um, it's not structured. It's not as structured as other things. You have to be willing to go with the flow. Um, it can be a lot of fun if you don't enjoy structure. It can be a lot of pain if you do. Um, and in terms of uh, convincing people to invest, you have to have a very good business. I, I see so many people short circuit the business plan. The business plan is your key to credibility within the investors and the board. You put a plan together and you hit it, you're going to go far. You put a lousy plan together and you start missing commitments, they're going to start losing confidence in you. And when you have to go, if you need more funding, it's going to be a much harder road. 
just on that point, John, actually, I've seen that a lot in what I do also. But one of the mistakes I've also seen companies make is when they go out for the fundraising process with investors, they they don't spend enough time on the presentation to them yeah. and they try it out on the investors. And that comes back to really hurt them because they think, oh, well, I'd love to get their feedback. But then you go back to them as if, you know, with a new business plan or a new presentation, and it becomes very difficult. So, you know, how do you manage that process with the investors and not having the resources, you know, and making sure that you're always putting your best foot forward? It comes back to network again. I mean, make friends in the industry. Find someone that you can go to that maybe a CFO somewhere or somebody who's been through the whole investment process and, and ask them to take a look at your your presentation, of course, get any necessary NDAs in place or things. Yeah, I always have to throw that call. As a lawyer, I love the plug yeah. there. You got to be able to, because, you know, you, you start to reveal information, you can get yourself in trouble. But run that through. And, and I'll tell you what I've also seen. I've, I've tried to help mentor a few people. Um, and we had a CEO who, to be perfectly honest, was a horrible orator, was an extremely poor presenter. And I'm like, you're super smart. I get that. But, like, you need to get someone else to present your deck. You, you cannot go, you know, it just... It doesn't exude confidence. And sometimes it's hard for people to hear that because many startups start with the inventor. You have an inventor so owner. True. Yeah. Yeah. And then they, they spend years just languishing because they can't. They can't do it. They can't get the, Well, and that's really key, line. right? Yeah. I mean, an inventor is great at inventing yes. the idea. They are not often the right person for the CEO and the right marketer for the company. Absolutely. Yeah, and if you look around, there's some people that might help you out, you know, from a, a contractual basis. If you can't afford to hire people because of cash flow, you can find some people who are retired CFOs or retired people that would love to give back and help out. Um, go, go find those people and, and enlist them in your, in your company. One of the things I love about Life Sciences PA is if you go to some of these events and you start talking to people, I feel that we have such a great network of people that really want to help, that really care about the industry, they care about the success, they've got a lot of pride in the region. And so I think you're exactly right, taking advantage of that and showing up and, and taking advantage of the help, but then also remembering that you need to help. Right, yes. that we, yeah. we need back. to give to. Got to give back. Right. Yeah, you know, and I, I agree with that, Rachel. And we see that all the time. It, it's something I don't know if it's unique to the life sciences community, but what I've learned over the years is the best way to make a friend in the life sciences industry is to ask them their advice. Yes. On That's anything. So true, Chris. And yeah, you know, everyone is very smart. You know, largely successful. Uh, they're very proud of what they do, and, and they like to to give advice. I, I, I want to take the conversation back just for a second, back to Stryker. And when you said early on at Stryker, you thought the leader of the Stryker, that, that's the guy you wanted mm -hmm, to be. Mm -hmm. uh, what was the, was there a turning point when you realized, you know what, I'm not him. And that's how you described it to us. I, I'm not him. I need to be this kind of a leader. Was there anything, anything in particular that you saw in him that made you realize that? Well, I started to see other leaders that were successful that had different attributes that were closer to mine. I'm, I'm a very strong people leader. Um, what do you mean by that? Uh, great team cheerer, encourager, uh, motivator. Um, I'm very good at setting vision and getting people excited about it, um, which is critical, right? When you're trying to lead a company, you know, when those, those problems do come up, if you can't exhibit the grit to push through it and show people how we're going to get by these obstacles, you have to give them the vision of how you're going to get there. Uh, many times people get paralyzed if a problem comes up. You're, you know, and again, I'm not solving the problem. I can't, I'm not the problem solver, but I have to be the person that can give them the hope that we are going to get through it. My job is to get the right team in place and then applaud that and share it and, and show people. Like, I can't, when I have a problem, the first thing I try to do is 
find a small victory, a small issue that we can solve, and then just publicize it to build that confidence of the team. And then it, it's contagious. And then people are like, wow, we can do this. We can get it done, you know, and keep that encouragement going. I have an attitude. There's no problem we can't solve eventually. We've got to figure out how to do it. So things can be solved. And I and surround myself with people that are like that, too. And then you have to get those folks under you to cascade that throughout the rest of the organization. And I'll tell you, one of the number one challenges is communication. In an org. I, I see it all the time. Communication can be your biggest enemy. And you have to listen to the feedback. Many times I've heard people say, well, you, you know, we don't know what's going on or we don't understand. I'm like, I don't get that. We, every month we're updating you. And then you start to learn it's not, what you're, it's not the communication, it's what you're saying they don't like. You know, you have to understand what they mean by that. And I think also it's a battle of definitions when you start saying things. I say something with a de definition. It might be mean something else to somebody else. So you got to spend a good time being a very good listener. Excelling in pharma is tougher than ever. Companies often turn to big consulting for help. But are those famous firms truly the most capable, most nimble, most effective partner? Aspirant's Org Accelerator is a better solution. Using our AI-powered assessment tool, along with our industry expertise, we will revamp your team structure to jumpstart collaboration in just 12 weeks. For more on how Org Accelerator can help propel your company's performance, visit us at aspirant.com. That's another theme that we've heard a lot from our guests, is being a good listener of your people. Uh, how do you encourage that? It's easy enough to say that you want people mm -hmm. to bring problems and solutions mm -hmm. to you. How do you really encourage that and make it more than just words? Well, first, get out of a formal meeting. Because people, I, the other lesson I tell a lot of the managers on me, a lot of the leaders, people change their dynamic depending on who's in the room and how you present it. You go to a room, board room, there's board, you're gonna act a certain way. You go with your peers, you're gonna act a certain way. You go with your subordinates, you're gonna act a certain way. If you wanna really know what's going on, get out of the formal environment. Go down to the folks wherever they sit on the floor, spend a few minutes. We used to call these ask me anything meetings. No preset agenda, just go down and say, hey, how's it going? What, you know, what, it's your time. Love well, that. You know, what would you yeah, like to, fantastic. what would you like to ask me? And, you know, it's okay not to have the answer either because I tell them, I don't, may not have all the answers. I'll, I'll try to go find them for you because the other thing you could do is don't ever try to answer something that you're not sure of. No one expects everyone to be perfect. But if you want to know what's going on, get out of your office. It's a little harder now with our virtual world. Um, but still, get out there and meet people. Go talk to them. Ask them what's on their mind. That's my suggestion for that. So taking you back for a second, because, you know, Chris had asked, how did you know that you didn't want to emulate the leadership style of the president at Stryker? So how, how did you, when did you realize? Because you, you're not successful. I'm not going to be able to be this uh, data person. Like, I'm not, I don't like the minutia of the data. I'm not going to be a data miner. I'm not going to be digging into that. And then you start to realize that, like we talked about focusing on your strengths, mm -hmm. you can't keep up with it. You know, and then, you know, I'm like, wow, I'm really not doing well at this. I'm not, you know, and, and of course, when it's not your desire, it's the last thing you always want to do. And it's not genuine. It's, it's it not genuine. Right. So, and now those things are important. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that's not important. I need, I have, my CFO is excellent at data mining and, you know, pointing in the right direction. And then I can take that and I can set the path forward. So you got to find somebody who does it. But like, if you're not good at it, you're not going to do a great job at it. So why are you attempting to do that? 
Now, there's an element where you have to, sometimes you might have to do it short term, but like that's not a long term solution for me. So I know it's been a couple of years since you were out working in the investor environment mm -hmm. and, and raising capital, but you know, are, are, there, are there tips that you could give to an emerging leader about interacting with the funding and the, 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 really the, the markets generally? Well, first off, um, look at it as a two-way relationship, okay? Sometimes you, if you're desperate for funding, you, you, you're almost not being a good evaluator of who your partner's going to be because you got to think, mm. that person I'm working with, I'm going to be married to them. It's like a marriage. And I don't want a bad spouse. So even though they may have the money, you got to ask yourself, do they emulate the values that we emulate? Um, are there going to be people we feel that we can have a partnership with? Or are they going to be over control? You know, you, you got to, it's a two-way street. Sometimes when you're desperate, you're like, oh, I'll just take what, I'm telling you, don't take whatever comes your way because it could be a bigger problem in the long run. So feel strong enough to say, we're going to evaluate the partnership together and get to know them more than just the funder. Get to know their style and ask those questions. You need to go, you know, they're asking you a bunch of questions, and of course you got to have good answers for it, but you better have some yourself, how they're going to manage things, their style, you know, what happens if we run into trouble, are you guys going to go to bat for us, or, you know, are you going to fade away, are you going to want a syndicate, what do you, you know, ask. Don't, this is not one way. If you do that, you're doing yourself a disservice. Yeah, I've seen so many companies just take the money without asking enough questions. You really do have to treat it like a partnership. Not every dollar is the same. No. And, and tapping back into the network, you know, do some of your own diligence on what are these folks like that have taken money from them right. and invested with them. Right. I think it's really critical. So what, where do you see, uh, from an operational standpoint or a funding standpoint, where do you see companies in the startup mode most often making mistakes? Uh, you know, their, their forecasting is not detailed enough. So they haven't fully built out the whole plan of how they're going to get to commercialization and how they're going to hit those break-even points. They might short-circuit the capex that's needed or the hiring of the headcount or um, not understanding the full cost of a commercial team because they are extremely expensive. Um, you know, if you're saying, you know, some people might go, we're going to hire direct reps. Hey, that's a great idea. But the, you know, you might need a hybrid approach. You might need some distributors. You might need to blend that a little bit. Um, you know, and I, I don't think they fully vet the whole system out. Um, what are you going to do if you expand? Am I going to get uh, contract manufacturing to do our manufacturing? You know, you really got to put that plan together because as you're building those blocks, as you're progressing down the path of success, you know, even as you launch, you got to start quickly thinking like, well, if this really takes off, do I have the capacity? Do I have the needs? Do I have the ability? Because the last thing you ever want to do is turn the field on and then not supply them. Because that's the kiss of death. Because then people are going to be like, I don't want to try your product because you won't be able to supply it. And then the big players come in and say, told you so. You don't want to work with them. They're never going to be. So you've really got to think it through and make sure that you can get there. Um, and that, that, I don't think sometimes people put, and, and why again? Because the inventors run, may be running the company and he doesn't understand all those aspects. And if they don't have a network to go to, to say, help me, they're going to fail. So again, I can't stress that again. You're not the one man show. You're not the one woman show. Figure out to get a network. You know, if you're not a distribution expert, find someone. If you're not a sales expert, find someone. Not operations expert, find someone. So, so with all that in mind, did you have, and I'm going to go back to COVID now, mm -hmm. right? 2020, 2021. Uh, did you have to change tack? I'm, sh I'm sure you did. Everybody did. Uh, but but what, are the, what are some of the things you needed to take on or drop off 
uh, your list in those days, in, in that period? Well, you know, we're, we're an established business, so uh, it was a little bit different for us. What, what, what we had to do was keep selling. So we had to get so what we had this big challenge, right? And I literally got the team together because it was kind of depressing. You're looking at the financial numbers you're supposed to hit, and you're looking at it going, "Oh my goodness! I, I mean, we're not doing surgeries. How, right. how, how are we gonna How are we gonna hit these numbers?" And instead of like I told you, letting that crumble you, you got to have grit. And it's like, okay, guys, what can we do? Let's stop looking at the number and let it paralyze us. Let's just start with a plan of what can we do. Well keep meeting, keep trying to sign contracts. And I can tell you that my commercial team amazed me. They didn't give up and just sit at home. They were trying to make meetings, the virtual meetings, and we kept signing contracts. And if we didn't set the table, this would have never happened. If we just let it paralyze us and sat there, oh, no surgeries, well, everyone sit at home, drink lattes. Right, exactly. Um, you know, we wouldn't, have, we wouldn't be where we are today. How did you keep up the, you know, you're a people, a people person, a people leader. How did you keep up the culture during COVID? You know, it's very hard. And I, I hope we did as good a job as we could. You always look back and I'm always like, man, we probably could have done better. But um, we started to try to create like uh, coffee chats where we had random groups of people get together because we, we saw what we were missing was the water cooler conversation. So when mm -hmm. you're all in the building, mm -hmm. you know, you, you run into people. You know, you run into people going down to the cafeteria, run into people going over to get a drink, and you have a sidebar conversation with someone who you normally probably wouldn't have met or, or talked with that day. And the COVID situation was extremely frustrating because you start to realize you're really pigeonholing yourself. Like, only people I'm talking to are the ones who were in my meeting. And that's not healthy because an organization needs to see that spreading out and you got to talk to other people and get a flavor for it. So we did create these coffee chats where we got, you know, people together to just say, hey, talk about whatever you want to talk about in this meeting. Um, to try to make those interconnectivities to feel like you belong. And, and how much of that has transitioned into now when we're almost back to normal? Well, we, we um, now we were doing food trucks. I, I refer to it as okay. normal pre-COVID. So we, we trying to get, because now we have the opposite effect where people don't want to come back into the office, okay, even though we can. And we're trying right. to find a happy blend because, you know, we, we don't want to get rid of hybrid working for sure. It's got a lot of benefits. But we also want to encourage people to come in. So we have a food truck for lunch, and we pay for it for everybody. And it's like every Tuesday, people know the food truck's coming, and it's surprising when it's free how many people show up. The parking lot's full on Tuesdays. <laughs> I'm to try that at the law it, firm. Yeah, it works, and it's a great, you know, because all we want to encourage is mingling, you know, getting sure. together and seeing each other. And people miss that because, you know what, if you don't feel like you belong in that company, you, it's too easy to leave. It's too easy to go oh, somewhere absolutely. else. There's no tie. It's like the visitor parking spaces that you're building, John, and I've been there. It seems that on the rainy days, there are more visitors close to, parked close to the building. <laughs> <That's funny laughs> very, very interesting. Yep. Um, you know, one of the questions uh, that I wanted to be sure we covered, DSM is a, is a Dutch company. Yes. Uh, acquired Kenzie Nash, which is a, you know, a, a pretty well-known company in Pennsylvania. Are there any leadership attributes that you could give to our listeners about dealing with an organization uh, or dealing with owners uh, that are overseas or outside the U.S.? First off, um, there's always benefits and plus and minuses to everything. So I've, I've really enjoyed uh, working for this international company. Um, I love people. So to get immersed in different cultures for me is exciting. And, and I really love visiting my colleagues around the globe and getting to see them and learn about what they do. But I would say you got to have a thick skin because, you know, people react differently. You have to get out of your own culture to say, okay, let me understand them a little bit and seek to understand. 
it, it really comes down to everyone having a mutual respect and being willing to also have good communication. Like if you offend me, Chris, say something. Don't assume I'm going to know that that offended you. Be willing to do that. And also don't do it in a group. If you offended me in a meeting afterwards, just grab somebody and say, hey, just want to let you know. I mean, it's really, you know, when you said this, this is how I felt. Um, And that could go such a long way. Be kind. uh, And that that goes a long way. One of the questions that we always like to ask our guests is, what do you wish that you knew 10 years ago that you know today? Other than lottery numbers. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Um, To clarify that. Yeah, other than that. I, look, I always say I wish we went faster. There's not a time when I haven't looked back when I said if we could only have gone faster. The market moves very quick, right? The needs are very quick. We got to be able to adapt to what's going on and take it to take advantage of it. Um, you know, we have to understand what our customers' struggles are and challenges so we can meet that need. And you know, if it takes me 20 years to commercialize something, you you ain't gonna get there. Right. So I especially mean fast on the innovation side. Now you got to meet all the quality and regulatory requirements. So obviously, I mean you got to meet those. Yeah. So I, I heard a couple of themes, John: uh, speed and, and alacrity. Uh, obviously, communication, mm-hmm. personal touch with with your team, and, and being a cheerleader, particularly in the in the difficult times. Uh, networking, you know, having that that broad range of of contacts and expertise at your disposal. Uh, anything else that you, you think falls in the category of being a life sciences leader? Um, I think we kind of wrapped it up. I mean, you know, if we want to talk a little bit about attributes of people, there's a few things that um, are must-haves. Integrity is number one. I will not do business with anyone who doesn't have integrity. When you look at the field we're in, how can you not? We're making products that go into human beings. So mm-hmm. if you don't have integrity, find another field to go into. I don't know what that is, but please don't go into ours because you know people's lives are at stake. Um, you heard me talk about grit and resilience. You must have that because again, you know, it's great to, I told you, you gotta put a lot of time in the plan, but like things don't happen. And when they don't, you gotta be able to push through it, get through the obstacles and, and tough it out. Um, teamwork, 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 teamwork. That comes back to surrounding yourself with talented people, whether they're in the company or out, you gotta have that network of folks. And, and the last piece I would just say is be kind and compassionate because you want to work with people you enjoy. I tell folks, you know, we're a family here and we have, you know, you, you could interview my team. We do have a lot of fun. I mean, sometimes it's too much fun. But I want to have that type of thing. I, I like, I come into work every day. I want to enjoy when I go in. I love my job here. You know, it is one of the, my most favorite things. I look forward going in. There were jobs I had where I did not want to go in. Right. Okay, and you know why? Because it was the culture and the style that the leadership put in place. And we have one here at DSM Biomedical where it's, it's a, I think, one of the healthiest cultures we've ever had. Terrific. Well, John, thank you. We, we've been speaking with John Witkowski, who's the president of DSM Biomedical. And I should have mentioned right up front, he's also a member of the Life Sciences Pennsylvania of Board of Directors. John, as everyone else should be. As everyone else <laughs> should be. Uh, and a, a great contributor and guidance counselor to us at Life Sciences Pennsylvania. So John, thank you again for your time. Thank you, Rachel, as usual, for for being a great co-host. This concludes this podcast. You can visit and listen to other podcasts by visiting our website, lifesciencespennsylvania.org, I'm sorry, at lifesciencespa.org, and visit the podcast tab. You can also contribute to the show notes 
by visiting that section of the website. If you have ideas about future guests or future topics uh, or have questions for our guests, feel free to submit them in the show notes. Uh, Thank you again for listening. We will talk to you next time.